Kyle, have you housed that burrito successfully? Oh, baby, yeah. Okay, good. Oh, baby. <laughs> it's been sent to the sunken place. <laughs> I just want everyone to know I haven't started the stock, and I won't be starting the stock. For like <laughs> Thanks for letting us know. That's an improvement. <laughs> if you could just wander around aimlessly while you should be doing that, that would be great. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pack Your Mics, the Top Chef program from the creators of Read It and Weep. Hanging out in our rewatch club, watching season 10 of Top Chef, Top Chef Seattle. This is episode 11Zs. This is the Restaurant Wars episode. I'm Alex, um, holding up the fort in uh, Los Angeles with Megan. Hey buddy. Hello. And we are joined in Northern California by Ezra and eventually by Sarah. Hello. And... uh, <laughs> That's how she sounds. She sounds delayed and like you. She, she sounds exactly like you, but a little farther away. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us uh, in Brooklyn, New York, it's Chris and Tanya. Hey, hey. Yes, hello. And also rounding up the panel in uh, a little bit further away, Los Angeles, New Sarah and Kyle. Hey, dudes. What up, fam? Booyah, <laughs> base. Before we jump into this uh, episode, I'm just curious. Um, it, it, it's an episode about uh, pop-up restaurants, and I was just curious if any of you have ever actually gone to a pop-up restaurant. Oh, I mean, it, uh, it happened once, did it? Uh-huh. It happened. Wow. What? Uh, <laughs> as the way you say that invites further explanation. It does. No, Perhaps. it's like this is a fuzzy memory because it's, it's in the pre-kid times. Mm. Uh, but I think there was like it happened once where like a restaurant popped up right next to a friend's house oh. uh, when we were living in the city still, and and I feel like like I okay I think we got food there. <laughs> um, but wow. I just remember. I just remember it being like at the time. This is sort of like um, I was like, man, this feels like a lot of money to pay for food that I have no place to eat. Um, oh, that's, that, oh, so you couldn't. Oh, eat it, in was, the restaurant. it was. It was sort no. of like a, a pop up like window. Yeah, it was like yeah. it was like this is. It was basically like, it was a garage. It was a pop up like sort of like like sort of like slid open like one of those like rolling garage door type things, and it's like here's some food, take it away. Um, oh okay $17 yeah exactly and I was like well that's yeah well I'd like to have a seat if I could well what, this would be a good better for the now times yeah no it was way ahead of it uh, so there's this I guess, place on Instagram where they serve a sandwich in a bucket from like a fourth story window and that seems fun wait a whole bucket of sandwiches well yeah, yes. they just put the one and then they lower it down on a rope and then oh, they take the bucket that's back that's a plating issue for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> has anybody else ever popped up sure yeah, I'm realizing my my initial answer was no. That's so sad. I haven't, but then I realized that was a lie. We've been to there was a pop up Indian restaurant that we went to with some friends. Oh yeah, in like the West Village mm-hmm, question mark. Mm-hmm. And then also we went to that pop up place in Philly that was like only open sometimes. Yeah, and was extremely delightful. And numerous like pop up. I guess like um, there's a bar across the street from us where in the summer they have a lot of pop-up um, mm, cool. restaurant tours, like trying out different ideas or cooking outdoors, like on a grill and stuff. And uh, yeah. that's really cool. It seems like one of the and key features of a pop-up restaurant is not leaving a lasting memory. Well, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the, you're, you know, it's, it's, it's like uh, venture capitalism in a way, you know, sure. you, you got to pay the money and who knows, they might be a unicorn, but uh, most of the time, 
you won't see them again. I, you know? I this well, is mostly for Tanya, but I have this I- business idea if you're interested, which is a uh, popsicle pop up. Oh, I see. Because of the because you like popsicles of the word pop. <laughs> well, but but because <laughs> of your deep love of popsicles. I know I do love popsicles a lot. I mean, we could talk a lot about popsicles in terms of like form and composition because I would need to know that before I would. Do you like an ice Wait. cream popsicle? Do you like like a paleta? Mm, I can be persuaded. I would say that like in my my most pure love of popsicles is like a sort of a like water plus flavor and sweetness yeah situation and usually not as cream back to based, basics yeah but, but i can be persuaded i'm not i'm not heartless can, can this be a dr seuss theme one so it's like a hop on pop 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 up <laughs> yes yes it can <laughs> Um, all right, so this is Restaurant Wars, you guys. It's finally come, the bad episode, the one that we've all been a little bit dreading, I believe. Um, huh. You don't think? Not as bad as I thought, Not honestly. nearly yeah, as bad same. as I remembered. Yeah, Interesting. Um, not bad. What I a start. I emotional. I mean, is it, it matters be- less when you know the ending of things, right? I yeah, exactly. Like, crucif- crucifixion isn't as big of a deal in, like, if the Bible, if you know what's going to happen later on. If you're in the fourth day and you're like, <laughs> you got your finger in his hand holes and you're like... Look, man, that seemed bad, but now it's not that bad. But also, I kind of think that <laughs> like if that? Had... <laughs> that was Sarah, please make it take so, us take us away from this. Yeah, laughing but upset. Else. I'm just gonna jump in there real quick, guys, <laughs> and go somewhere else. Um, I kind of think we had we not known what was going to happen, yeah. we wouldn't. We still wouldn't have been so surprised because <gasps> well, we're yes. we're more seasoned yes. Top Chef fans and kind of understand it better. And I think watching what happened, it. It does make, you know, sense a little bit. I yes. Have to yes. Say. Interesting. Yes. Okay. I totally yes. Support that. Oh, okay. So we're going to get, from... I, I want to loop back to that if that's okay. okay. Get in here, Kyle, and then we'll come back to him. Oh, I just think like the, the other thing that I was struck watching it is that like, it seemed unfair, but from, not from like, she didn't deserve to go. It's just, I was more <laughs> struck by like how much Stefan sucked. And, like, the obligatory <laughs> rule of like a person from the winning team can't get eliminated when like, he did the worst thing. At yeah, he, yes. he did the worst individual thing. But uh, I have more to say about that. Uh, yeah, let's hang on all of this. So I want to get. I want to get to all these. This is clearly the main point of discussion. But before we do that, let's do. That. I want to break them down a little bit. Um, first, I want to talk about uh, the challenge, which is always a little bit different from Restaurant Wars to Restaurant Wars. So, um, a yes. quick recap for you: the challenge this week. Um, it's time for the chefs to create a restaurant with insufficient uh, support and nowhere near enough time then to have big discussions of ownership and responsibility with the head chefs who don't actually have the authority to fire people in the spectrum of how much work is required i want to say this is like on the high end they have to pick the chairs plates flower arrangements and most notably uh like a boomer with a kiss me i'm irish apron they have to cook outside um and then uh they're being judged by uh danny meyer again as well as emerald and gail simmons who ate her judge table wheaties this morning and was ready to plant a flag on the right side of josie history yeah she was she's uh she was feeling salty force of nature gail simmons today um but so let's so the breakdown though of the of the uh challenge the way that this one is set up uh four on three um choose your own that's right because micah got eliminated last Micah week. got eliminated at the last second and then choose your own side of the courtyard to have a kitchen assembled in 
you do yeah. run in front of the house. I'm trying to remember what are the other variations we sometimes have. Kitchen's outside. You got to you gotta pick your tables, your layouts, like how many two tops, how many four tops. That was yeah, up to that part was the like, people. It wasn't like you can pick flowers, but we don't care. The, like the actual layout of tables matters. And Ooh, also, front of, the, front of the house can deputize anyone they want as well, which is fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like you've been upgraded. Yeah. You're now an expediter. You're now a, you're down, you're, uh, you're all cooking, plain. man. I w- yeah. Yeah. I will say, and sorry to interject. Uh, I would say the the temp worker cater waiters were probably more competent than we've seen in yes. many yes. episodes. Yes. Uh, I noticed that yeah. too. Not only that, but like you know, Pedro, the deputized dishwasher who became sort of a, a grunt a chef. on the line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like a you know, cook, I, I, I would say that the the cater waiter and the the staffing agency did better this time yeah we've seen totally agree much later seasons um kyle you um have the most experience in restaurants of all of us how did you feel about the cater waiters this time around cater waiters seemed really good like everyone was like it seemed like everyone was on board to like try and make the service as good as possible where like other seasons like the people are there just like very over it and maybe a little stone <laughs> yeah yeah and like, yeah. it, it was nice seeing like everyone in there just be like, "I want to do the best job possible," and not, but not from a competitive standpoint. It's 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 weird to see them have pride in a restaurant war's job. Yeah, yeah, they all just like came from like a, maybe like a Tony Robbins like uh, inspirational speech. <laughs> yeah. Just really feeling which. Good. Which is not to say tickets didn't get messed up. It's not to say none of well, that. Well, the happened, main thing they messed up, I think, was table numbers, and that. Is hard that to memorize in an hour. Yeah, that happens at a restaurant where people have been working there for months. Totally, it seems like a hard yeah, thing. It's always on the table yeah. as an option. Do you? Um, how do you feel about the deputizing of a dishwasher into a prep cook? Is that? Do you do you agree like with it. Sheldon's take that that's like a a great well, opportunity for him? I mean, it is that I I don't know how Pedro felt about it personally, but like it, yeah, he didn't get that that he didn't get deputized to right? having a mic pack. It, but it didn't like nothing. But he, you know, I I don't think anything that he was asked to do was particularly outrageous or like no. stressful for him. It wasn't anything that would like sink or you know help the restaurant soar particularly. It was just like a good necessary task, and I felt like everyone was thanking him and being polite. So yeah. I don't know. I liked I, yeah. it. Yeah, I, I thought he didn't like have to create a barbecue pit out of sterno and then <laughs> yeah. somehow like. Up a goat in it, and nobody yelled at him, you know. And also, notably, it was pretty much like, you know, we saw the the other team, uh, Atelier Quan, leverage their cater waiter people. Like, you know, there was the guy who was like, "Here's one. I need four of these," you know. And like, it was happening on both sides, and it just seemed like the cultural like norm and sheldon said that his actual journey started with being a uh, dishwasher and then they needed someone to to cut vegetables they put they move you up so it may be actually that was a good opportunity for him and for those other waiters to get like some movement towards finally making that great back of the house money well i i also thought that like this was a kind of like a good calculated risk where it's like if sheldon doesn't deputize those two like with like being a person down already and having a Stefan, I feel like they're going home basically if they don't right. like like try to, to 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 maximize like you know useful hands. Uh, so yes, yeah. that is interesting. There was not one mention in all of the judging or discussion from the judges about the fact that one team had twenty five percent fewer employees. It yeah. basically was yeah. not an issue after this. So I mean, the team acknowledged they were like, you know, we're down a guy. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. A little tricky, but it didn't but seem like right. it came but through. The judges, nobody, yeah, nobody leaned into that on 
judging. So, also, like, both services seem to go a lot better than other restaurant wars we've seen that have, like, a full four-team staff. Like, both kitchens seem to stay re- relatively on schedule. Yeah, That's true. the first couple meals out of Quan took a little bit, and then there was, like, one comment of somebody seeing some fish around, and then it all picked up and it seemed fine. Yeah. 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 Um, so let me tell you about the restaurants. So I, I get a um, an email about wanting a little bit more recap for people who are for the the three people who don't actually watch the show. So um, let me do a quick recap. Yeah, I love a summary of the restaurants. Yeah, you do. So first up, um, cooking first, which is normally an advantage, but didn't work out that way today. Um, we've got Kristen's reimagined French classics uh, at Atelier Quan, is what you called it. Um, that, which is a restaurant she conceived as a child. Um, Lizzie makes charcuterie that's actually a hot soup. Josie makes, uh, eventually makes bouillabaisse, the hardest dish in, in food history to spell, I think. And then Kristen's got a tiny medallion of beef, hold the bourguignon. Brooke makes a cheese course that includes free tooth removal. And Kristen closes out the menu with, if you just hadn't called it a macaron, it would be a good cake. And then, of course, oh, Brooke is handling oh, from the I, house I and absolutely that, nailing it because she gives a shit. Please, us. Well, it's just that, so, it's just like pitched as, like, it was a macaron, macaroon, mm-hmm. like, uh... A like mash-a-rup? Like yeah. <laughs> but, but I think, like, I think when Gail was critiquing it, she only was calling it, like, a mac. This is, like, she's like, this is a bad macaron. Yeah. But, like, it was supposed to be, like, like, a macaroon is a much denser thing. And totally. Like, and so, like, I felt like that was a, that was a poor critique of the critique. I don't know. Yeah. Are we sure that that's or, what happened? Or, if well, you didn't get it... Maybe it's the fault of the dish in the description. Yeah, you know? right. Which was Gail's a not through line it, of this whole maybe menu. Maybe other people aren't getting it either. Yeah. Well, in, one, in one moment, Gail called it a macaron, and then in the next yeah. moment, she called it a macaroon. So that could have just been right. her like reflecting the mashup, or she just didn't get it and wasn't sure what yeah. was happening. Yeah. And technically, the words are interchangeable. Whoa. And they both refer to both. Wait, so, that's really? Wait, that's what I read life. somewhere. Okay, Wait, that's, oh, no, that's not something ooh. I've ever seen. Rebel, 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 rebel. You can't call a macaroon a macaron and have people order it and not be surprised. I mean, I guess it's like it's think. like I guess it's it's like interchangeable in the way that like now like literally can mean either one, right? Where it's like language has shifted uh, enough. To, yeah. Where it's yeah. like it's like you can't critique people for using literally wrong anymore. Yeah, Is that exactly. What you're talking about? Yes, exactly. It's off the right. table. I, I mean, uh, still do. People <laughs> all the time call French macarons macaroons. That that's normal. Right. It's yes. I thought I thought technically incorrect, but like normal enough yeah, that maybe it it's correct. But I don't think the other way. Around yeah, I've never heard of the. If you said you were serving me a yeah. macaron and it was um, a delicious chewy coconut cookie, I would be very off put. Because you put the effort into the pronunciation and then gave the wrong... That would be yeah. very funny. Yeah. I Fair just, enough. I, I stand corrected. People well. being uncomfortable having to say macaron because they're worried they're going to sound bad or something. Yeah. Whereas like everyone is comfortable saying macaroon because America. I think if, if um, the main thing was that there was no crunch to it at all, I think if, she, if there was a meringue element under the almond coconut cake or so, just... I, I think the crunch is so important to a macaron being called that that not having it made it just uh, it, just like her other dishes where she like um, her her title of it made Tom mad. I mean, this was a big theme of uh, this episode is the classic Tom doesn't like what you called it. So if I think if the, with this name you just need a just a hint of meringue or meringue chips or just some meringue element. Can I ask a related question? Yes. Which would win in a fight, macarons or macaroons? 
Sorry, what? I was going to say, so Gail said, if very dramatically, a hoot, yes. if she was going to be reincarnated as oh, any yes. piece of, paste of patisserie, <laughs> it would be a French macaron. <laughs> so if you were going to be reincarnated as any, I guess any dessert, it doesn't have to be patisserie, what would you, you come back at? What a, what a dark version of reincarnation where you are briefly a cookie and then dead in the dark place. Well, I, presumably you get to come back as something else afterwards. Yeah, it's just oh, like a oh, brief interlude. Oh, interesting. It's just a Ooh, series of brief, brief times as a cookie. Yes, and a yeah, past I mean, life how long does a cookie, cookie last in front of you, man? I mean, <laughs> oh, man. I can tell you, from personal experience, that cookie doesn't last. And and the great thing about that line is that Gail said it like, she's thought like, about this before. we all know this, yes. Gail <laughs> says. Like, you guys know me. My one party topic of conversation is how I am destined to be a macaron. <laughs> I love a macaron. That's Which a is answer. funny because it, like, doesn't feel like Gail's vibe to me. No. Like, as a as a person, I would not have said hmm. that that is what I would want Gail to be. Can you a, imagine a macaron mainstream? with Gail's um, excellent personality? That would be interesting. Yeah. She's she's just, yeah, she's such a, like, fun, like, bubbly person, and a macaron is so restrained and, like... <laughs> So delicate true. Yeah. And like in, in a and way that I don't associate with her like fun, love, and good times. Yeah. yeah. And let's be honest, macarons are just fine, you know? Yeah. Like they're fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the truth of macarons. Like, truly. They're fine. Oh man. <laughs> they're a little That's it. Yeah. I'm not like a yeah. big meringue person. I know. I was I, oh, I can't oh you guys. So my I, question stands then. What is your what I you w- just would like I just don't want uh, this can't go by unremarked. The people are going to be angry. There are people who like macarons a whole lot. I'm one of them. I don't like the way they're priced per se, but they are uh, just an amazing cookie. I love macarons. Alex, I'll make you, you some very mine. average ones for free. <laughs> <laughs> that is they are like oh i really wanted to spend six dollars on one cookie that's mostly air but i do oh man i love a macaron they're the best and if you can just make them it makes you one of the more impressive people i've ever met i can i can't say they're uh you know great always but i can well then i can't trust your opinion because you don't think they're ever great i think this is a great cookie anyway (laughs) there are people out there who like this cookie they're very pretty to look at, especially so when they're all lined up. Oh, and yeah. You're like, wow. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mm. I have macaron PTSD, those things though, guys. What? Oh, 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 boy. <laughs> no, I mean... I feel like this has come up on the show before. Does well, it? Anyway, we might, we might ma- not want to relive it. A no, macaron just, look, killed your whole family. <laughs> was there a bug in one? What happened? No, there was... I, I had, like, a... Uh, I had a commercial shoot where it was, like... Uh, the, the ad was about, like, uh, pastries in some part. And there was, like, a whole macaron thing. We had, like, a, like a ton of macarons at craft services. And so I ate a bunch. I brought them back. Uh, we were in L.A. I, like, had unrelated food poisoning after that. Um, oh. And, like, the macarons, like, kind of scarred me from there. So. Yeah. Well, because you I had see. to see it again, which is never nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's tough. Um, I don't know if I've heard that story, but I want to be on a shoot where they're like craft services full of macarons. That sounds fun. I was pretty jealous, yeah. (laughs) I I once put together an entire press event inside a very fancy macaron shop that had just opened. And uh, and then they gave us boxes of macarons as like a thank you. And then I I, like went back to my desk at the end of the day and in like a stressed out just like days ate all of them yeah, you can it's mostly <laughs> yeah, air they're mostly air yeah, yeah they're mostly air and i like was sort of like i don't know if i've had like this caliber of macaron ever before in my life and then i got to the Can't end of the box and was like that was cool i don't know if i need this ever again <laughs> i will also say though for since we're just to be clear i also love a macaroon 
Oh yeah. man, yes. that see that's where the money is mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, like especially it. like half dipped in chocolate. Yeah. Yes, okay. yes, of course, yes. I, okay, so to answer your question, Sarah, I would like to be a croissant um, <gasps> because there's a so butter m- croissant, a butter a croissant, pistachio croissant, a, like a plain butter croissant, regular. Um, wow. And I will get because I will get all over your shirt, so I will stick with you all day. There will be a little wow. piece. So there'll be part of me will stay with you for much longer than you expect. So wait, you want you want lasting staying power, but one that people are kind of embarrassed to realize. Yes, okay. <laughs> that's me. You want to make people feel crummy all day. <laughs> uh, that is me. Dang. That's me. Yes, that's me. Anybody else? Um, mine is forged partially through stress because I've never been sure how to pronounce it, and every time I've like taken a swing, I've gotten it wrong, and I can never remember what the right way is. So I think it's cannelle, but it might be cannelle. Anyone? I think it's cannelle. I think it's cannelle. It's cannelle. I just know I've like ordered it from fussy baristas before, and they've immediately repeated it back to me with a different pronunciation. (laughs) Dumb, dumb. I'm sure Chris has read a magazine that you can say both. I think <laughs> that that's a great choice, though. It's a delicious, eggy treat. I I love cannelles. I think they're just gorgeous to mm-hmm. behold, and they and they also have like a weird little tough exterior, and then on the inside, it's just all squishy, squish. Yeah. Pretty much my whole deal. Yeah, all this exterior, this tough exterior, people are hearing on the podcast is fake. <laughs> no, it's real. Yeah, that's it's right. This is where all my this is where yeah, the right. squishy, it's, squish hangs it's, out. It's Don't worry about it. <laughs> Keeping it all the squish in. Anybody else uh, for pastry reincarnation? I think I would be a chocolate eclair because Ooh. I just have like childhood memories of that being so special. They're giant. Like and they're it's like, huge. It's like, it's like so many treats mm. in one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It is definitely an upgraded donut. Uh, yeah. For me, it's not a pa- it's It incorporates pastry, but like. A profiterole is my ideal dessert because it's like ice cream and puff pastry with hot chocolate fudge on top. So it's oh, like cold yeah. and hot. Sure. And like, if, oh yeah, if you make yeah. It right, those are like fun. Compulsively eatable. Man, I don't think anyone has said oh, something yet that's easy to spell. I have one. Um, I would like to think that I'm a cupcake, but I know I'm a blueberry muffin. <laughs> 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 You're slightly better for me, but not that much. But secretly just cake in a different way. Yeah, your secret cake. <laughs> That's fun. Oh, my gosh. Um, I like that. I'll take a, a pound of chocolate. I mean, oh, like, yeah. I, I think, like, I, I mean, because, oh. like, I like this. Look. You want to be like me, but stuffed? Yes. Yeah, well, and also, you know, a little mm. different, right? You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. like, I like that you can't. Yeah. I like that you can be a little, little, like. Yeah, correction me about where this. I'm um, actually that's that's not it's not chocolate croissant. It's a pan of chocolate. Yeah, that's right. fun. It's not, it doesn't have that. Right. We yeah. are very French. Mm. Well, so is yeah. pastry and dessert. Yeah, honestly. but specifically that's patisserie, the... I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, welcome to colonialism. La- yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that is Atelier Quan, and then uh, flipping over to the other side. Second serving today is Sheldon's restaurant called Checks the Sign to Remember Urbano. Um, ah, Stefan, my gosh. Yeah, of course, led by front of the house, Stefan, whose philosophy is that everyone who meets me will be worse off for it. (laughs) Um, uh, Unless you meet me early in the night, and then you'll be worse off, but with like three (laughs) bottles of wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I gave everybody a ton of free wine, and then I was surprised they wanted to stay. Um, I was surprised they wanted to learn about the food. (laughs) (laughs) 
how dare you not know what traditional Filipino dishes are? Um, right, here's a, a quick. Uh, I'm going to distract things for a yes. second too. Like, who goes? Who knows they're going to restaurant wars on Top Chef and then sits around? Like, what yeah. type of? That's such like, a good question. Yeah, what chaotic kind of true individuals. Monster. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, ooh, now that I'm here, I get to be on camera, potentially. So let me just bask in this. I'm going to, and then on camera say, ooh, I'm going to just chill. Like, we're just going to Okay, but in their defense, one of the people he tried to kick out was like, we didn't get our dessert course yet? So he was like... That was reasonable. In the middle. Reasonable people. That was one, two top. There was like a whole lounge of people who were like, apparently it's our hen night. I don't know. Like, what were they doing? Get out. That's such a good point. And and I do think that when he kicked them out, you do have to feel a little bit like it's reasonable that if you're not at... If you're not dining with Padma and you get kicked out of Restaurant Wars quickly, that's fine. That's normal. He he, he can be rude to you. You're not Padma. You're not with Padma. You don't don't, matter. Get out of here. I don't know if it's the Top Chef training in me or what, but like when I go to any restaurant, I'm always looking at if there's a wait and like thinking about how long it's taking them to flip my table. I know. I think about flipping tables too, and it's not really our business. Like once I sit down, the timer starts. (laughs) Like, and I'm gonna, I'm here for a good time, but ideally not a time that's going to tax their bottom line. I, I definitely call table flipping on myself all the time, and it's yeah, perhaps not our uh, our business to think of that, but I definitely do. One of the greatest hospitality moves a restaurant can do is encourage you to take your time, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and, it's such a, that's a baller you know, thing that they don't need your table for anything. That's right. And even if they clearly do, you know, mm-hmm. if you look outside, there's a wait, you know, whatever. And they're just like, no, please take your time. Enjoy. It, it yeah. makes you feel princely. That's super know? true. Especially. It makes you kick yourself out also, right? It's sort of like. Well, that's true. Like yeah, your, yeah. Your mom says like, no, that's no, true. it's fine. I don't need any help. And you're like, oh, geez, I really should do the dishes now. Or if you're like, I take yeah, all the responsibility. And then you're like, too. I take responsibility also reluctantly. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, uh, That also seems especially true if we buy this theory um, from uh, Danny Meyer that you go for food and then come back for hospitality. Is that I true? Know. I feel I like go I go back food for food. I come back for the O. <laughs> <laughs> I will ever... never get over that. How he, he was like, I know part of it is the presentation of the restaurant and the theme, and that's why they look at the type on the menu. Right, right, but right. Him, him being like, look at the way they did this O. This O says that they're up for something. They're, it's going to be a little oh. bit unexpected. You're going to get a twist. He was yeah. so impressed with the Magic Elves like, yeah, in-house art menu art Multiple department. times. It's like, wow, this <laughs> yeah. is really well laid out. Well, you think the Danny, chefs did the chefs. this? Oh, yeah. man. I'm pretty sure they had no consultation on the menu this season. So no. thanks for noticing. That's Yeah, it was hilarious. But I, I, I've oh, never thought we should... About what was I've never thought I should go back to this restaurant because the service was so good. But um, yeah, let me give you a quick rundown of this menu if you haven't seen it. So Urbano is Sheldon's uh, modern Filipino food. Stefan opens the night with uh, Kilowen, which is a Filipino raw fish dish. Josh Josh makes balut, a traditional Filipino duck fetus that he's made simultaneously less and more gross by adding foie gras. Sheldon serves a Miki, a Filipino chicken noodle soup with tapioca noodles that sounds amazing, uh, but you have to figure out what it is on your own. And he also <laughs> makes pork adobo, which is not adobe. So thanks for that again, Stefan. Um, and then Josh closes everything down with hollow hollow, which is a Filipino word meaning mixture. So his mixture is yeah. coconut sorbet and avocado mousse. 
Josh ignores that and plates it in a deconstructed way. Where nothing is on top. <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, uh, separation is what I call it. Um, yeah, yeah. A weird week for Josh. I felt like, and they didn't. It didn't end up mattering because his stuff tasted good. But like the the egg and everything too. They kept being like, "Well, this isn't really Filipino at all." Like, yeah. everyone had this frame of reference for what flavors they expected, at least with that course. And it seemed like he didn't yeah. do it. Also, I mean, I I don't like looking at foie gras, so that was a tough one for it's, me. I would have rather it was the traditional dish because that is like an interesting story behind it, you know. And it's really you like to see people eating like no, embryos. Well, <laughs> but that has that's like introducing something like people to truly like a cultural experience they might not have a frame of reference for, and that's what I think is really cool about this restaurant. Yeah, right? the thing it's that like, he kept of that yeah. traditional dish is that it involves egg. Yeah, and that that's the thing is like both both of his dishes, the way they handled it, seems like they probably tasted really good, but they seemed really out of keeping with the rest of the menu. But well, but I, I think that yeah. I, I, that's such a good point. But I think that is exactly what they need to then show to Josie, whose excuse for making shit food is it's not my menu, it's not yeah, my true. type of cuisine. Is like yeah, you could also just make good food, and that forgives almost everything else. Very true. But um, could there? I mean, but did the head chefs approach? have something to do with that maybe sheldon gave people more leeway point. on how to approach it very good point um whereas Kristen yeah. really had a, a very strong vision for each dish um and maybe didn't allow as much contribution i think that is true okay well so put. let's get let's get right into i mean i think there's two main things going on in this episode uh the josie problem and the villain update colon stefan so let's talk about the josie problem because i have been much surprised to learn that you guys are not as angry as you used to be so um i I will just, uh, I guess, start by saying I'm still very angry, and I will also include um, at uh, Chosen Chic on Twitter, who said, still one of the most infuriating Restaurant Wars outcomes of all time, snorting bull angry face emoji, and uh, other similar, certainly other similar uh, um, thought processes in the mailbag. A lot of people are mad about it. Um, and Indebted Dragon said on Twitter, I remember this episode starting a trend of judges visible disgust with Josie. I remember it seeming like <laughs> they were trying to find a reason to get rid of her each episode, but just not being quite able to find one, which is both hilarious and frustrating. So for, for those of you who are not feeling so angry, somebody, somebody come in and make this case to me because I'm surprised. I got a case. Let's do it. Uh, that sounds too aggressive, by the way. I should just say, like, I'm super interested in hearing your point. No, I mean, I, the part of, like... It's all sh- clouded with the fact that we know how this ends and that Kristen isn't done. But, like, looking at it now, Kristen picked Josie for her team. And part of yeah. being the executive chef she is did. knowing, like, managing people. And I think Josie did the worst job in the, co- in the like, actual cook. But it uh, is, in a way, ultimately the executive chef's job to get everyone on board and make sure yeah. they're doing it right. Like, honestly... Mm-hmm. I, I, if Kristen had said, like, Josie, you're fired, we're doing this with three chefs, or, like, made Josie, like, sub in for Brooke midway through service when she was screwing everything up and oh, just, like, God. change it, that would have been, like, it would have been... Or just had her go over and cook for Urbano. Or you're a it, dishwasher now. It, it's the thing of, like, she didn't manage the kitchen because she let Josie be awful. And yeah. it's still, yeah. it's Josie's fault, but if you're in the situation where, like, you're the executive chef and you want to have that responsibility, like, managing people is part of it, it that's not yeah. part and of case top point. chef. 
but like that that is a thing that I think is fair to judge her on. Yeah, and case in point, I mean, for instance, when uh, Josie was just in an unhurried way, not doing her, you know, mees for the, or not not getting the stock on the day before, mm-hmm. you know, Kristen didn't say, you know, hey, listen, based on how, you know, the timing of the restaurant, the timing of the service, like everything else, this needs to happen. You know, she, she was nowhere near forceful uh, towards Josie and just sort of gave her side eye and sort of mumbled in her uh, two mm-hmm. camera interviews about it. But, you know, that, that confidence, that leadership wasn't there. And I think Kristen in the, at the judges table, you know, standing up and saying, you know what, this really uh, was, you know, like put the blame on me because and and she brought you know she could have talked a lot more about Josie's poor time management which led to the um bad bouillie base issue that then you know caused that to be a bad dish um and and could have thrown her under the bus but she didn't because she recognized like hey you know this this was my error to make in a lot of ways and you know from seeing from seeing more restaurant wars from kind of being a more seasoned watcher of this yeah am i bummed that Kristen went home and that josie got to stay sure but i don't think it was the injustice or the the crazy uh surprise you know thing that happened because you could see it telegraphed throughout the entire service and even the day before service that like things weren't going well and Kristen wasn't managing and and her plan for service her plan to do everything all a minute you know given that josie was doing what she was doing you know, just like something had to give there. Mm-hmm. I think it also cuts both ways because we're seeing like what I feel like we're seeing here is like conflict avoidance down to the ground, right? Like yeah. nobody wants to give anybody real feedback. Nobody wants to receive real feedback. And this like unwillingness on both sides to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody in the midst of a stressful time means that people have opinions about stuff that they're not sharing. They have fixes for stuff that they're not sharing and they're letting somebody who is admittedly green. Everyone knows Kristen hasn't done this before, hasn't run service like this before, hasn't been in this leadership position before. And they're seeing that she has some like flaws in the way she's proceeding and they're not saying anything Brooke to her about it. Brooke isn't stepping up. Brooke yeah. isn't coaching her. Yeah, know. Brooke who has, says herself, like I've opened four restaurants with my husband. Like I know some stuff. Like, you could have a conversation with her if you didn't already perceive her as having a really strong plan for exactly how she wants to do things. And so you've decided, all right, you go die on that hill. Like that to me feels like a big, like interpersonal dynamic across this whole team Yeah. that like when you're, when you're good enough and you know, you can execute just your thing just fine. Thanks Lizzie. Thanks Brooke. Like, you're kind of mostly thanks Lizzie this week, but yeah, well to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. There were some issues with Brooks, uh, sticky sweet pine nuts, but still like, I just think there's, there's some, some bigger managerial toolkit pieces that people are missing and it results in things like this going down. That said, like the errors that were made, I totally agree with everybody. Like Kristen made some mistakes and she can't be, you know, completely absolved of that. Was Josie a total jerk about it? And was she rightfully like scorned by Gail? I, I, she was weirdly defended by Padma because I think yeah. Padma somehow was more upset with Kristen. But it was still like, it was interesting to see how hard like some people wanted to come down on Josie and how that ended up getting reined in. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the macaron conversation again, but I think somebody needs to, at least for the show, stick up for the fact that the obvious uh, interpretation that Josie sucks and that this is an injustice, um, which uh, I, I don't yeah. think I'm on my on, on a on a limb here. Um, the no, you're, you're no. not on a limb at the, all. That to say, like Kristen's the better chef. It 
it no i like, but i you know, i, compl- I gun. completely disagree with this idea of the way that the, the the way the judges present executive chef role in restaurant wars as having this kind of responsibility you can't fire people you can't actually tell people what to do. You can tell them what to do and then they cannot do it. All of your employees are your competitors who want you to lose. Um, you also don't have any time to change things if somebody has messed it up. So by the time she says, just put in cream, it's not like she can say, let's go back in time and you do this dish better. She can't throw the dish away, which you might do if you're running your own restaurant. You have none of the power of an executive chef, but you're expected to take the fall like an executive chef. And I think that's ridiculous. I yep, think this is a clear case that if the judges saw the tape... This is what tape, Restaurant Wars is. Well, I, I mean, I don't think that the Restaurant Wars is that you have to go home if you're an executive chef and your team loses, because... No, but if, all the challenges you just described are just like fabric of Restaurant Wars. Yeah, but, the, but so I'm not saying that the challenges are the issue. I'm saying, given those challenges, pretending that someone is the actual executive chef is like a fun fiction the show does that the judges don't actually have to consider in, in their eliminations. She's but not really the executive chef. She planned the menu and then a person who's at her equal on the show did a shit job and sent her home for it because she didn't stick up for herself at judges table. I feel like this is a clear case that if they had her, if they actually saw what happened, like Kristen refused to talk at judges table. If she told them what actually happened, they, if they had had her story it, the all they had was Josie's version of events, which was, I made a good thing, Kristen changed the thing at the end, and then sauced the plate wrong. And if she had said, I told her six times to get the bouillabaisse done, and she never did, so at the last second we had to change, and we didn't have the right consistency, we didn't have enough of it, they would have been like, oh, well, great, we're definitely sending Josie home then, because that's the problem. But she didn't stand up she didn't stand up for the process during the cook. Like everything she said seemed to be coming from the talking heads. Like I, I agree that it's holding one person to a higher standard than the rest of the team. But like the way top chef is set up is that like, it's a risk, but also a reward in the long run where as like a competitor on the show, you sort of get like that clout of being the person who steps up and wins restaurant wars. And that can like, get you through two more eliminations if you like there, there are and like side benefits of being in that position and really like if you take on that role you have to be the executive chef of the kitchen so they're going to judge you for being the executive chef and part of that is making sure the other people do their jobs and Kristen didn't do a good job I mean, do you of, do we actually think that if she had said anything to Josie at any point it would have changed Josie's behavior like oh, we, we all don't, we don't know maybe not well we do know Josie's never changed anything ever no matter how many oh, times judges have said she's doing stuff wrong no matter how many times Tom says actually, please serve Alex, me a dinner dish she won't but we've but, but Alex I think the thing is like like we all know this about Josie I think Kristen knows about this about Josie if Kristen had had like last pick and gotten stuck with Josie I'd feel really different about this but she chose Josie over Micah. And like that for me, that's the thing where it's like you introduce this into your team without a plan of how to deal with this person. And that's yeah. why I feel like that's on her. I think she, she might not have known how bad Josie's time management was because she's not watching the other booths while she's cooking. But also, sure. I, I, I mean, I don't know what she was thinking on that decision. I don't, I, that would be really interesting to find out more about why she thought that. I mean, she, if she was gambling that she would get she, – if she picked Micah, she would lose Micah then she looks prescient. But the idea that having Josie is not is better than nobody was the place she was wrong. 
But I, I don't think that like even having to have a plan for somebody makes a ton of sense. Like, um, there's nothing that Sheldon did that affected how Stefan performed. There's not, he didn't tell Stefan to stop being bad. And if that side had lost, Stefan would have gone home in a heartbeat and they wouldn't have blamed, they wouldn't have blamed Sheldon for Stefan being terrible at his job. So, but that's a different relationship because what we're talking about here is what happened right before that plate with the quote unquote booyah bays went out. And what happened is Kristen was the last person to touch that plate. She decided to opt for almost no sauce and on a dish that has sauce in like the whole presentation of it and the name of it, you have to represent whatever that broth situation is going to be. And if you don't do that, you're falling down on the job. And like, I don't, I don't want to play Josie here and be like, well, she sauced the dish. so. (laughs) But like, you do kind of have to like think it through for a heartbeat and say, what have we done? You guys honestly think that if the, if the judges had watched Josie's, behavior during the cook that day that they still would have sent Kristen home? I so, would not guarantee that. Yeah. I really yeah. would. Closer, I think yeah. that at the end of the day, the responsibility still sits with Kristen, especially when she's the one saying, I'm touching everything before it goes out. And, and it's she, her menu and it's her whatever. I mean, like, Alex, I'm not saying you're 100% wrong. I mean, I'm, you know, I think... I mean, again, I'm not making a weird... I'm not going out on a limb. This is what this is what the world believes. Well, so oh, I think absolutely. one of the things I think I, that's at the like heart of the frustration here is that Kristen took responsibility for what happened and Josie yeah. didn't at judge's table. Yes. Like as far yeah. as we can mm-hmm. tell, she just really didn't, I uh, didn't take any responsibility for the issues of time management that really put them in this, this tough situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yep. So I think, I think that like, that's really frustrating to watch. Um, but I, I don't know that with perfect, like if the judges had perfect knowledge that they would necessarily send Josie home. I have, I have, and that Kristen wanted to, she, according to her talking head, this was exactly the way that she wanted to present herself at judges table. Like she doesn't say anything about like, I wish I'd said something else. She had this whole, her, her explanation was about like, she wanted to do this with integrity. She kind of felt like she knew the way the wind was blowing and she didn't see any gain by like complaining about her teammate. I, and you know, I, I, t- I totally that understand that. I, I don't, yeah, same. I think that's wrong headed, but respectable. I think it's like really powerful, misplaced, uh, uh, integrity. I think if I have no doubt at all that if Tom had watched the, t- watched all of the cooking, he would have sent Josie home in a heartbeat. I don't and that's think that's why Last Chance Kitchen was rigged in her favor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, totally. Like, I mean, it's, you know, there there is a real sense of like the injustice there. And I remember some interview with Padma from back in the day too, where she said she got the most like fan responses about Kristen's elimination. Like, that's the most yeah, yeah, yeah. she's ever heard was like people being furious about it and how they felt like the judges really messed it up exactly because of that, because they didn't see the full picture of what happened. But one of the things that is, you know, makes Top Chef Top Chef for good or for ill is that they can only judge based on the food on the day. And sometimes that leads to like stuff that sucks, like huge miscarriages of justice. But they did incorporate, they incorporated Josie's description of what happened. So when they said, why was there no, why was there no gelatin? And she, Kristen said, uh, or she said, Kristen told me not to put in gelatin. She didn't say Kristen told me not to put in gelatin because I was two hours late and I had done the food wrong. And that I think was like, so they blamed Kristen for messing up that dish with her perfect vision and her overseeing and her last touch of the plate. She wanted cream instead of bouillabaisse instead of hearing the story of what actually happened. 
So I think yeah. I think what I don't have respect for Josie. I don't confuse this. <laughs> yeah, with like, no, no, no. None of us are here and like, like, trying to protect Josie. And and I don't mean for this to be an argument whatsoever. What I was trying to say is like you know like when we watched this at the time, this felt felt like horrible injustice. Mm-hmm. And now with a little bit more perspective and seeing it again, I think what what we're hearing from from my me from a few other people is that now it feels unfortunate and yes. it not like justice was you know that this is complete outrage it's like oh i see how we got here and i see that this was going on the entire time throughout this this wasn't like you know that the Kristen. there were problems with the way Kristen was running things the entire time and that's a failure of her like that that is something she did wrong in leading and that's something that i think she like learned a good bit from over the next few weeks of the show like it, it i it's a humbling thing for someone who has so much talent, but I, I think it's a necessary lesson for her to learn in the long run. I totally. I think that I think that's definitely true. I just think that the idea that we that, like, I guess the thing that I've decided is that I kind of don't like Restaurant Wars that much because at the end we do this whole speech about leadership when they weren't actually allowed or capable in any way of actually leading. Yes. Really? They're not given any of the tools of, of leadership. You can't fire yeah. Josie. I agree with that. In any no, can't can't fi- situation, Alex, they would have fi- fired Josie. May I? Yeah. Sorry. Um, you design the menu around your food. You, des- you design how service is going to run, how the plates are going to go out. You have control over every single dish before it goes out, the ability to send it back. No, you can't fire people. And there are a lot of constraints. But there's enough that goes into the conception, the layout, and how you are running, how that's going, that the EC role has a lot of potential to make or break the success of a restaurant more than a line cook. Not everybody's equal in that scenario. And therefore, I don't think it's fair to judge the EC with the same standard as you do a line cook in in restaurants. I think if their judges table had been, look, we think the design of this menu is not great. We think the way that all like the way that her um her vision of this whole this process is bad. We think her dishes are bad. Like all of that would change it. But what we see is we didn't get enough sauce, and Josie blames that on her when we know it was Josie's fault. Well, I think that's the, why it feels the overall like overall concept of the me- I mean, the overall restauranting of it is the reason why Atelier Quam was on the bottom and Urbana. But they was never on the talk top. about that at judges' table. Like I'm assuming there is hours of that footage that we didn't get to see. But like the reason why I think I mean this is what's one of the interesting things about a show like this is that I think the magical elves get to decide if we're mad at Josie or not. They get to decide if this feels like justice or not in the way they edit the judges' conversation. And I think if they showed us more clips of them being like, "Look, the whole menu was flawed. This idea of French cooking with a new twist didn't happen. It was all just boring versions of French food. Whatever. We'd be like, well, that's bad. But if they, but all they showed us was the sauce thing over and over and over again, and the sauce thing was Josie's fault. So it, but there that is, feels there's unjust. a nuanced conversation between Gail and Padma in which Gail is saying, like, Josie never takes responsibility. She keeps messing up, and she keeps getting away with it. And Padma says, yes, but it's Kristen's responsibility in this case to hold her team to task and to make this thing work. Mm -hmm. And she didn't do that here. And she says she's taking responsibility. She's already told us that's what she's doing. And so if she's, if she fell down on this, we have to like take her word for it. And that's like, that's what ends up happening. But I do think that that points out that tension that you're talking about where it's like, do you punish this individual for, you know, getting away with something or do you take the person at their word who's saying like hey i'm taking the fall for this this was my this was my thing i just want to bring move this on a little bit but i want to bring in one more voice from uh ashley who sent us an email 
about executive chefery um, on this. And she made a couple of good points, but we've covered a bunch of them. So uh, one thing I think was that two, two, or two good points that I want to bring up from this. One was that one of the dangers of this, of restaurant wars, is that the people who are the line cooks can intentionally duck responsibility, which it seems like Josie was planning on doing by specifically saying, like, I'm just a soldier today and like not take like planning ahead to not take credit for anything that happened. Um, which I think is a great point. And the other thing she said was um, during the uh, during this discussion where uh, Kristen is refusing to say anything and we're just getting Josie's story, where were Brooke and Lizzie during that discussion? Why didn't they jump in? Because yeah. they that would have been an opportunity to not for Kristen to stay a- uh, admirable and responsible and also have them, the judges have a better understanding of what actually happened. I mean, great maybe, points. maybe uh, that is a great point. Maybe John salted the earth in terms of other people speaking <laughs> up. You know, no one wants yeah. to be seen as the like person who's like, um, I'm not in this conversation. <laughs> you love my dish, but if I may, like, no one wants to be that person either. Exactly. I, and we don't know if they said something and it just didn't make the cut because the magical elves really wanted to play up the interpersonal tension this season, and they're already yeah. crafting this Kristen narrative. So I, there might have been other stuff. That's true. Also, the chefs, the, the the elves know that Kristen wins. So the elves are making this show knowing that yeah. getting us mad about it makes the redemption arc for Kristen even better. Whereas if they make this elimination look super justified, then her coming back and winning feels crappier. So we're also getting manipulated that way. Yeah. And you know what? It still works. I'm still sad. I, I love <laughs> yeah. Kristen. Like, it still is sad, but it is more of the. I was like, ah, this is maturity. <laughs> Feeling disappointed in a different way about this totally. show now. <laughs> yeah. Years later. And you know what? Totally. On the flip side, I'm now more furious about Stefan. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let's move into this. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about that? Perfect segue. <laughs> yeah. So, um, issue number two of this, our villain update Stefan wins, right? God, he's doesn't uh, lose is definitely a win. <laughs> Him and Josie are definitely, you know, like Josie earned a lot of villain points this week, I would say. Uh, but Stefan, I think oh, he, man. he was out well, to such a to lead clear, already. I think I think Sheldon's pork adobo won. Yeah. And Stefan was on that ship. Yeah, like, my, that's not the my same position Stefan totally. is that the idea of Filipino adobo won restaurant wars yeah. more than anybody lost it yeah. because it is one of the world's great dishes and he did it well yeah. and there you go yeah you know uh, i i i don't i wouldn't i don't want to call stefan a villain because i think he's just the biggest asshole i've ever he's just seen. a piece of garbage yeah <laughs> like, for sure I've he's ne- not malevolent that's just who he, he is just sucks. Yeah. like I am baffled that someone whose job is to like be the front of the house and make people feel happy at a restaurant felt that he could go around and just be a, a jag to every, not yeah. just like regular people that I could see him being a jag to because he drives a Porsche and thinks that everyone loves him, but to be that much of an asshole to the judges and think he did nothing wrong. Yeah, he like, like belittled them for asking him to explain a dish, his one job. Like it, when that happened, job. when that happened, like in the last season, when, uh, I, I, I feel like in, the, in one of the last two seasons, someone forgot to introduce a dish. They're like, oh, my God, I messed up. I didn't introduce a dish. And then when Stefan does, he's like, eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard of Mickey? Get out. Oh, Here's Mickey, you're so fine? 
here's the thing about Stefan. I agree. Everything you're saying is true. But there's another reading where if you just understand this is someone who just doesn't like to work and just wants to minimize all the things he has to do. He found himself on this competition. He's, you know, and he just, he's like, second time. As long as you're, yeah, as long as you're here and pay, want to pay me, fine. That doesn't make me, it puts me under no obligation to actually do anything, right? So, like, you know, if it's a finale, I'm going to, like, you know, take a break and, and have a smoke, um, right? If uh, if it's this, I'm going to do as little work as I possibly can, uh, and yeah. we'll see how it goes. Um, it's top chef, not top server, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, finally, yeah. the empathetic reading of Stefan we all need. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, mean, I don't think that's a compliment, but I agree that Stefan might be the laziest chef on this show in history. Yeah. He's always also, in the middle. He's just not interested in trying ever. Yeah, and it's this cuisine that he doesn't know anything about. So what he does is he learns, barely learns the titles of he dishes. He doesn't even learn the name of the he's, restaurant. He's covering up, I think he's covering up his insecurity and lack of knowledge with that brusque attitude, right? Yeah. He's saying, oh, it's Mickey, you know? He doesn't know what it's supposed to be. He doesn't know anything about the origin. He doesn't know about the flavors that go into it. He's like, yeah, it's Mickey, you know, you you know what it is. Read the menu, you know? And it's like, no, 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 no. That's that's not what you're here for. And everybody called him out for yeah, it. What a, yeah, what? The way he made us I feel mean, is worse is, than that bouillabaisse is just such an amazing quote about someone's personality it's it's true and i think there's also there's some important like we talked a little bit about this with josh as well that instead of saying i don't know about this cuisine i'm gonna lean into this and learn and yeah yeah and be curious and ask questions and humble myself by saying like i don't understand i've never worked with this before tell me what i need to know tell me like have me taste stuff like help me get in here Instead, you just put up a big wall of insecurity and act like a jerk and cook food that doesn't really resemble the food you're supposed to be cooking and then just kind of like slink out the door and then you're just a dick to people. Like that is that is a great way to never expand your horizons Rem- and like congratulations Josh, great work, my dude. <laughs> like, remember last know, remember last Stephane week Stefan is more of aggressive about it, but they're both guilty of this. Totally. Remember last week when they were doing their um restaurant concepts and uh i think it was wolfgang was like are you making anything german and he was like nah german food sucks um like that like that's just his approach to to food to cooking to this whole career is just sort of like i just don't care about it i don't care for it like thai food is more profitable when i make thai food that's what i'm doing right now does he not actually like cooking yeah that's what it kind of feels like he likes the cars (laughs) but not the work yeah and then all right yeah Work isn't great. I mean, I can appreciate that as a, as a, as a motto. <laughs> you're totally. I mean, yeah, you're right. But man, what? A, yeah. So not a empathetic reading, but man, that guy sucks. I have to say, one of the most crushing moments of this episode was seeing the look on Sheldon's face after he realized what a bad job Stefan had done. Yeah, because he did not know. Yeah. He was on the other side. He was in the courtyard. He just looks so let down. It yeah. was just, Oh, that was awful. It was like, it's okay. You're going to win. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's give it one more second on that because I do feel like in all of this Josie stuff, what gets lost is this was Sheldon's breakout part of yes. the series. Last this, episode and this, this is, episode is where we discovered Sheldon for real. And it's yes. so lovely. Yes. And Tom's like, Oh, Tom's quote that was like, maybe the, the reason why this hasn't broken on the main, into the mainstream food scene is because we just haven't had you yet. Oh God, my heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my little heart. Uh, um, Two quick fun facts that I found for you guys from TopChefStats.com that might interest you. Um, Number one is that uh, in the history of Top Chef, 11 of 16 restaurants that serve first have won. 
So the they get judged first. They get judged so first. Judge yeah. First, so the right. fact that she yeah. served to judge first and lost was like actually a lot of work. Um, and w- which makes sense, right? Because restaurants, early res- or restaurant wars, restaurants get in the weeds very totally. quickly. You know, like if you come in halfway through a service, that's the worst time. Yeah. You got to plan until you get punched in the face, right? Everyone, the second round team has already been punched. Um, then the other fun fact is that only three teams who chose first when when the executive chef was picking their team have ever won. So picking first is actually a curse, mm. which uh, out, out, out of fall for. Many, do you know? The, out of the curse was Brooke, apparently. Um, uh, I guess I, I can't remember now because it wasn't actually full 16 because some of them um, you didn't actually didn't get pick, to pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let me just pull this up again. Um, but but yeah, uh, that is de- generally generally a bad thing to have is first pick. Um, also worth I, noting, um, huh. of the thirteen teams who chose first, only three won. So it's it's definitely anti beneficial to choose first. I think it starts. I mean, this is a very small piece of it, but I do think it starts that like narrative within the team of like we're so great, we are all the good. Totally, people, and we're do a great job, and it starts the narrative with the other team, which is like we're the underdogs. We're going to work harder. Hard. We have to pull together. Yeah. We got to so like true. lean on each other. Yeah, and that tends to breed success. Not to mention the possibility that if the person picking is not the strongest leader, they pick somebody who has a strong leadership voice, but then you got a lot of backseat driving going on. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. So other, uh, I guess this is also interesting because we talked about the risk reward of being executive chef. Um, winning roles out of uh, 16, five executive chef, five front of house, five line cooks won. And one time the entire team won. So there is no wow. statistical advantage to being executive chef in terms of winning. In terms of losing the limited chef, it was seven executives, six front of house, and five line cooks. So there is a slight, but not statific- statistically significant with the sample size. So yeah. it's actually, they're actually and pretty good at sending people home and rewarding people at all the levels of Restaurant Wars, which I did not yeah. intuit. And I think, you know, we've seen a lot of Restaurant Wars where the restaurant is designed to be like, hey, I've got these people on my team. We all cook similar-ish types of food. So I'm going to give each person a chance to really show off on their dish, their food. And then that's where a line cook can go home if their showing off doesn't work. Yeah. But then if you have a service design like this is my singular vision, you know, then it's more likely that EC or front of house is going home. Uh, you know? Just to let's bring this episode in for a landing now. Moving on to our last chance kitchen Kristen is put up against the uh, one of the winningest chefs in, in Last Chance Kitchen history, Big Siege. Large Siege. Large. <laughs> totally large. Large, large Siege. Um, siege. He's, um, <laughs> he's so big. I forgot I know. how big it's, he is. Oh every, God. Next to Kristen. Every time. Like, Here's your jacket. And I was like, like they're going to have her wear that gigantic jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way too big. Yeah. Also very sweaty. She's going to go live in it during the rest of the... <laughs> you can go camp. Um, so the way this one works this time, um, Tom allows the chefs in, in, in a rotating style to pick their own challenge mm. from protein, cuisine, time, and technique. They each get to choose two. Uh, Kristen chooses that they're going to do uh, French and Snapper. And CJ ch- chooses 30 minutes and using the smoking gun. CJ picked scared. He picked scared. Um, oh, you mean he yeah. picked he picked something trying to like sabotage her? He picked the largest amount of time, and he let Kristen take uh, French food. That's which is very just, true, which is not his favorite yeah. food either. So um, Kristen decides to make a second chance at her bouillabaisse, this time uh, with snapper and a smoked butter, which is kind of fun. Um, and CJ yeah. made a brown butter snapper, with, and he smoked his uh, potato puree 
um, smoked the milk, smoked, yeah, the cream. smoked the cream. Yeah. Which is also interesting. Um, he was generally right that he picked the smoking gun because he thought Kristen wouldn't be familiar with it, and she wasn't. But he underestimated but once how you much. Tell her it's like a bong. Yeah, well, he know? underestimated how much weed she has experience with, which, <laughs> um, which was great because her bong thing immediately won over a crowd that was almost all wearing big siege shirts. Like, yeah. she took the crowd back immediately. <laughs> I mean, they finally had a better option, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, also, she was playing with French food, which is home field advantage. But so, uh, Sarah, you insin- knew Sarah. You insinuated that Last Chance Kitchen was rigged for her from the beginning. And oh I- no, Kyle did. Oh, Kyle did. Sorry, um, I don't mean to include you guys both in that. No, that's conspiracy. okay. We're separate, unique people. <laughs> but the okay, so the conspiracy theory exists that perhaps this was favoring Kristen. I um, would never have thought of that, but now that you mention it, it did seem like that last dish was unclear that she was going to win. It did not seem dominate dominating. No. So where did, where did you get they this? Were, where are you thinking? They were just so close. Like it was so close that I didn't see a distinguishing factor that made hers better than CJ's. And then even Tom saying like, I had to go with the dish that just felt more complete as if like CJ had turned in an incomplete dish. I mean, that's the, uh, one of my favorite tropes of Last Chance Kitchen is where Tom goes, well, the challenge was met, so I'm going to make up a new arbitrary standard. Yeah. yeah. This might have been the first time he just pulled the Colicchio yeah. thumb on the scales. It, it, I mean, I definitely have seen people on uh, the, the Reddit people who, you know, can go for a conspiracy when it's available. Um, definitely feel like Last Chance Kitchen, the judging is not as clear. And so there's a lot of room for conspiracy thinking on it. Well, I think it isn't as clear because there's one judge. Totally, yeah. There's so no it's, discussion. It's all yeah, in his brain. You don't have to see any conversation. Totally, yeah. And and so it's not as clear to us. But I I will say, um, when I took that cooking class with Melissa King, um, they asked her about uh, the uh, Kevin's coming back um, on the most recent season of Top Chef. Um, because that one, they she was able to taste all the dishes in Last Chance Kitchen. In last, and you know when Kevin comes back from Last Chance Kitchen. Oh, in that in that triple mm-hmm. header where they brought yeah. the other chefs there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he had to cook yeah. against. Right, because that was one where there was a lot of conspiracy talk too. Um, and she said she definitely agreed with the decision. Um, uh, and yeah. I also mentioned that she just feels like Top Chef has an incredible amount of judging integrity. Yeah. So. To- could we like maybe just to, to nail us down, get some extra toms from maybe like the Tom like multiverse, uh, so that they have a, like a panel of toms perhaps. Ooh, Tom with hair. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh There's really like Tom, baby yeah. Tom, baby Tom, oh, maybe goofy jocular Tom where he just kind of stands around like goofing with the goofing with the peanut gallery yeah oh and there's like the beach tom right like the sun oh beach tom oh i do love beach i like beach tom too yeah fish and beach tom (laughs) sun on the top of his feet tom i (laughs) i like this idea a lot i also it kind of reminds me of like when the vaults were like hey surprise we have a sister um where if tom was like i have two brothers who are look identical to me can i bring them in and then they just all sound like tom here's what here's what needs to happen is Tom's dog Tom, needs to Tom's dog cast a vote here? Yes, I would very much. I would watch a challenge where Tom's like, "Well, the dog has preferred this dish." That would Wait, be. Can we just get all the Toms? So like we get, like Tom's of Maine, like the toothpaste people, and we also get Tom's <laughs> the shoes as well. Oh yeah, yeah. You ever wonder I'm how out, many Toms out, specifically y'all. they're referring to with Toms of Maine? We <laughs> have <laughs> a collection of Toms. It's, it's all. Of them. I think United. they all have a share. Tanya, did you say you're out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tanya has checked out of this riff, so we should move on. Anyway, Kristen wins, and justice is served in the long run. Um, 
I feel a little bit bad for Siege, even though he's been such a villain of Last Chance Kitchen. But I do know, just like Kristen, we know he's going to find peas and f- and fall in love and win duels later. So this was a head-to-head matchup where we know both of them have good things to come. So we don't have to feel and too bad. I also bad. think this this is like what inspired Top Chef to start bringing people back earlier from Last Chance Kitchen too. This I, it yeah. feels like pretty soon after that they started being like, yeah, if you win like five or six in a row, we'll just bring you back. Yeah, and then keep doing it. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Because yeah. um, it's very art, you know, very valid that with a performance like that, CJ earned his way back into the pool of active chefs. Yeah, you know? for sure. Also, I mean, I again, I don't. Su- fully like what happened in this episode in terms of elimination and all that but I do love that we have in our future a nowhere to run to baby nowhere to hide elimination for Josie followed by her like going into LCK and then getting whooped again yes yes like we got a back to back seems like deeply satisfying stuff I'm looking forward to it and also Stefan going up against Kristen in the woods of Alaska yeah. Oh, right. I remember being so scared when I watched that the first time around. Man, this is so fun. Sometimes I like knowing the outcome. <laughs> yeah. I think it can work in our favor. All right. Hey, friends. It's going to be okay. All right. So last uh, two two more final things. Um, one from Tall to Trenta, how Seattle is this challenge. N.A. Not not available. Uh, no data. Um, no, there's, da- there's data. It's tall because Georgetown is an area that has lots of event spaces. Oh, that's true. Okay. Where we had our that's... rehearsal dinner, as a matter of oh, fact. Oh, excellent. Okay. Right. Well done, well done. Um, mm-hmm. a-, a couple of quick emails I do want to get to. This one's, I, I missed this last week because Facebook uh, showed me that there were no comments when there was a comment, a couple of comments. And they were really, really good. But this is the most important one. So um, from a little bit ago, when John got sent home for uh, his risotto, I just want to add this thought from Bridget, who says... Um, Rewatching the recap, John complaining about the uneven pan again made me realize WT asterisk because she feels uh, guilty even for fake swearing. Um, wow. Uh, is he even talking about the hallmark of risotto is that you stir it constantly so it wouldn't yes. be unevenly cooked from the pan unless there's a hole in the pan. It doesn't actually matter when you're stirring it. What I actually <laughs> think happened, and we know from previous scientific experiments that we should take Bridget's word for it about how these things work. Um, I think what actually happened is he tried to par cook so he could finish when service started rather than timing it so it was done at service. So like cook it three quarters of the way, spread it on a sheet pan, which he did, and then just chill it and reheat it with some stock to finish it. Except if he spread it too thick in his sheet pan, then... Uh, then some of it would have kept cooking, hence the overcooked mm. rice at the top. So um, that is a much more, I believe, scientific that explanation. That is an amazing point. Isn't that solid? Yeah. Isn't that yeah. great? Um, and Bridget had one other really interesting point that went uh, a big swing from science over to symbolic logic, which is the opposite of overwhelm isn't underwhelm. It's not overwhelm. A lot of you took formal logic in college, right? So, <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no, we took Formal a very was not offered different kind of liberal arts school that we we, <laughs> we, we went with the philosophy that was more like, how do you feel right now? Um, yeah, very oh, different. No, no, how does your professor feel right now? Yeah, right. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, how much jackal laughter is your professor going to engage with during <laughs> all <this>? of it? <laughs> also, Allison wrote in on Facebook this week. Um, we may remember we read Allison's comment on villains and how she actually kind of preferred Stefan knowing he's a dick to people who didn't know they were dicks and thought they were heroes. Right. So, um, yeah. I think I've been trying to justify generally why I have more positive uh, memories of Stefan than the original airing, but I've realized, uh, but I've realized he was overall kind of a dick bag. But I'm fine with realizing that truth. But it did make me think 
that I am still not sure I consider him the overarching season 10 villain. He's an asshole, but his crap doesn't really have any impact on the season or the other chef testants. A lot of his nonsense yeah. is in talking heads, um, which doesn't make it okay, but it makes it less important to the chefs. Um, but he seems almost removed since he's never at the top and he's not really in the bottom much, or as Ezra would say, he's not like showing up to work most of the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which it makes sense. Which leads me to Josie. I think she's my seasoned villain, not because she's an awful person, although she has her moments. I, I'll refer her talking head comments at the end of Restaurant Wars after her elimination as an example. But her bullshittery has lasting effects on the season. She's what I remember not liking when I think back to the entirety of season 10. So Josie's, yeah. Josie's the villain to the audience. She makes Top Chef worse for the fans. Yes. And, and also and for like, she made, made it worse for Kristen. She makes it worse for um, uh, the people in the house. She's like starting shit in the house. Whereas Stefan is like, I'm just sitting outside smoking. I don't care about the show at all. And then in Talking Heads, he's like, oh, I like butts and I don't care about people. Um, well, and in the kitchen, he's pretty misogynist. He's yeah. a misogynist yeah. for sure. Just to for be sure. Clear, yes, yes, yes. There's yes. like a lot of like passive, terrible, like sexist crap. Totally. It just gets added to everything he does. But he does yeah. not, he's yeah. not like ruined a team as much as he tried on this episode, I guess. Um, yeah. But he, yeah, yeah it, it generally nice. seems like his stuff is, is sucky but does not affect the outcomes in the way that Josie's like constantly affecting outcomes. Yeah, and you always get that that game show uh, message at the end of the credits saying that portion the producers have edited out portions of this competition that don't affect the outcome. And Stefan feels like one of those portions. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Like, That's such a good point. All right, and lastly, and very importantly, um, two very related issues. Oh, I didn't even. Um, there you go. Uh, mailbag. Oh, um, okay. uh, two more mailbag oh, things. Uh, so, did, did any of you happen to watch the Emmys this year? No. Hell no. No, we no, we didn't either. Sorry. Although in the clips, busy watching football. It looks kind of neat that they send you a. It sent, they sent you a box, and then if you won, the box pops open with your Emmy, and if not, it just doesn't. So that's kind of neat. But anyway, what's in the box then? Uh, great question. I didn't. I didn't watch the Emmys. I just saw those. Ask J.J. Abrams. But um, <laughs> so know. Jen sent along this article from a uh, reality TV show uh, blog called Reality Blurred, uh, saying that during the Emmys, when Top Chef lost to RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, they showed this the way they did the shot because everybody's at home or wherever they are. They showed the Top Chef production team. Uh, they showed this camera, this little tiny camera on a big like uh, you know zoom shot of like six different cameras. Anyway, Top Chef's feed from the camera was perched far away, but there was a very clear look at the judges' table with a cluster of people around it wearing masks, masks and standing behind it. The table is much much wider than it normally is, but it was a pretty pretty mm. typical Top Chef looking kitchen, which means according to them, that they are uh, uh, clearly building and setting up filming the new season of Top Chef, which yeah. makes Tom's continued existence in Portland seem even more oh. evidence that Portland is there. Oh, man. And Ooh. then... I love our audience sleuths. Wait, it They're gets great. better. That was good. But then um, sister of the show, my sister, sent along um, an other Portland rumor this one is from uh, the website that everyone would assume would have the, all the dirt on Top Chef, which is coloradopolitics.com, yep. which wrote an article about a virtual chili cook-off that the Colorado Democratic Party held, which, by the way, seems like the worst way to do a chili cook-off. They all like sure. looked at each other's videos of chili and decided what was the... It was a very weird... Wait, no. I think this has a lot of benefit in that you're not near anyone else's farts, right? So... That may be true. I do think it hurts yeah, the judges. Anyone true. else? Maybe. That is true. <laughs> Scapegoats are out of the picture. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, and actually, uh, one more brief side about the chili cook-off. Former Interior Secretary Ken Salazar's steaming pot made with locally sourced organic pork and red chilies from the San Luis Valley, where his family's been ranching since the 1850s, was voted the chili viewers most wanted to try. Um, anyway, very weird event. However, one of the judges on the chili cook-off was Top Chef's very own Tom Colicchio, and the article on ColoradoPolitics.com explains Colicchio joined the online event from his kitchen in Portland, Oregon, where he's filming the 18th season of Bravo's Top Chef. So, with the scoop. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and scoop. seriously, ColoradoPolitics.com coming through. No other website has that co- has a confirmation that clearly. Like, even the Reality Bites is like, it kind of seems like they might be in Portland. This was like, yeah, he told us he's filming Top Chef in Portland, and I guess yeah, somebody let their guard down at the chili cook Exactly. <laughs> they were so busy being embarrassed about their farts that they forgot they signed an NDA about what Tom was really up to there. But. That seems like we're definitely feeling like we've got overwhelming evidence that season 18 of Top Chef is going to be in Portland, which is a lot to take. I think take. it's time to emotionally prepare. I, it's time to emotionally prepare. Oh my, Just get ready. Start doing it. Megan and I have spent most start of the, the week exercises. talking about this, and I am so worried. It's so weird. It's such a weird time for them to do a season of Top Chef where all restaurants oh. are not there. Yeah, like there's also oh yeah, yeah right like anywhere you're filming uh, Top Chef would be really weird right now. Wait, that just occurred to you, Chris? <laughs> Listen, it, I, I only it only I occurred to me two days half ago. Half a step ahead, ever at best. All right, well, all right. Counterpoint, like I think it might be you might want it to showcase Portland in a better way, but I think this is going to prove to be a fascinating season of Top Chef. Yes, where there's a whole new world of challenges that they're going to put the chefs through to sort of like speak to what we've experienced over the last True. year. Also, also uh, maybe there are chefs who are available now that normally would be too busy. That's what mm-hmm. I was going to say is it's a whole new world of availability. Yeah. Because people <laughs> aren't working the way they used to. Hey, Tanya, could you eat your mouse for a second? Guys, did she just say billaboo? She said available. Availability. Yeah. Okay. Is that a thing that she says a lot? Oh, well, no, time. I mean, that's a, that's so, you know, Ezra, this is actually sort of related to you, is that uh, there's a video game that is an ode to old LucasArts adventure games called Thimbleweed oh. Park that came out a couple of years oh, ago. Yeah. Oh, and, yes, I know well. My yeah. dad actually worked on it. Yeah, exactly. And there, there's a character um, who's a hotel manager who ends everything with Abu or, ah. uh, you know, something like that. Yes. And so I took that and made it into a funny portion of speech that we've adopted oh. into... Uh, you know, uh, an ending of some words. Excellent. And I and I think I we can all agree muffs. that it's adorable. Can you bring can yeah, you bring Tanya is. back in? It also works really well on like vulnerable. Yeah, I'm feeling vulnerable. <laughs> you know, it's man. I absolutely love this. I um, yeah. it, uh, I was briefly a writer on that game, and I had, did not know any part of that. So this is all very exciting. Um, let's wrap on availability you guys anyway so we might we might have top chef portland keep thinking about what's going to happen there i'm sure there's going to be a challenge where they put weird shit on donuts um i'm sure they're going to do something with food carts um that'll be the only portland thing like everyone has food trucks but portland's the only one that insists on calling them food carts and not trucks um, yeah, here are three New York chefs to judge. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, though, because Alex, you, I mean, you know, like, uh, Megan, you all have some time to like sort of like work out what is your preferred, um, I guess, like sizing, uh, right? Of, of, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, because like Seattle claimed coffee in terms of short to, to train. Tip. Oh, yes, that's so true. Yes, yes, yes. I do think actually yeah. I, I would love them to do a coffee related challenge because Seattle did not do that because they had to focus on the most important beverage to Seattle. Canada's dry. Um ginger yeah. ale but mm-hmm. I, portland has room well to do a coffee challenge and certainly i think that is one thing that portland does extremely well um so i would like to see that a lot and i'm looking forward to seeing greg and and dougie back and and probably oh, yeah. probably naomi pomeroy again um seattle yeah. So, yeah so there's some there's gonna be some fun times i don't know i'm just a little worried about seeing portland so sad and um whether it's actually gonna like is big enough to actually do it but also i'm kind of excited also they really should have us come to taste something if they're even doing diners we really should be involved we lived there for 12 years and then as soon as we moved top chef came you guys that's really sad anyway um what we're gonna get out of here thank you so much for listening guys if you have feedback uh please send us your feedback on facebook and twitter or by email uh, mailbag at packyourmics.com chris uh if you would be so kind please just um you you already knew this because you're a half a step ahead, but pack your mics and go watch football. I will. Everybody else, <laughs> please stick around. Uh, thanks for joining us, uh, New Sarah and Kyle. It was a great heated discussion. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. My I I love getting riled up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and thanks for hanging out, Chris and Tanya. You bet. And indeed, uh, Ezra on behalf of Sarah, I believe, who had to go do something yes. important. Bye, Sarah. She's gone. gone. And and thanks for hanging out, uh, Megaboo. Thank you. So great. All right. We'll talk to everybody uh, next week. Goodbye. Bye.